we're going to to learn the day of today about digits. I'm what? I'm gonna record from here. Ah, okay. ¿Qué será? Numbers. In a little white building in the hills of Guatemala, above Lake Atitlan, Silvia Quintana's class mostly sounds like any other English course. But it's not. The students are learning skills meant to keep them away from the U.S. border. It's part of a school called the Centro Querete, literally the Stay Here Center, which is funded partially by USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and administered by the Guatemalan government. The school is a part of a quiet crusade to keep Guatemalans from migrating to America. About one in a hundred Guatemalans has reached the U.S. border in the last year alone, and many of them come from this central region in the country. The school was started in 2017, teaching teenagers how to do things like cut hair, fix computers, speak English, skills that could ostensibly earn them a job in the town of Santa Maria Visitacion. The students at Centro Querete also get lectures in the dangers of migrating. A poster in the school shows stick figures drowning in rivers, falling off trains, and being held at gunpoint. The school is an example of America's attempt to curb migration that go far beyond a border wall. And it also tests a fundamental question. Is it even possible to convince people not to migrate? I'm Kevin Seif. I'm the Mexico Bureau Chief for The Washington Post. And this is All Told. After class, I spoke with the English teacher, Silvia Quintana. She told me that even she once migrated to the U.S. Yes, yes, I lived in L.A. Um, almost more than 15 years. Uh-huh, but, uh, How did you decide to migrate? I had family and friends there, and they called me, come here and we'll show you Disneyland and we'll show you things like that. And I went, but I fell in love, and that's why I stayed longer. You fell in love with the person or with the place? No, with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with my husband, and I had a daughter. But when she was nine years old, I um, took her back. Uh-huh. And your husband, he's still in the U.S.? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Um, Quintana, a woman in her 50s, has short hair and a huge, wide smile. She grew to believe that migration was something eroding her country's social fabric. Maybe she thought she could convince some young people to stay. Uh-huh, sure, I say, if you, if you go to the United States, you have to have papers and you have to fly in an airplane and be, and be very welcome. If you're not, maybe there are more things. I give them other options like the cruisers. Like uh, Caribbean cruise. Oh, the cruises, yeah. Okay, that's a good option because they always need uh, people to work with them. And they make money, you don't spend money while you're working there and they can bring... uh, So I download videos and tell them that they need electricians, they need computer masters, they need um, they need everything. And if you're good at anything, in the, you can you can walk there. Do you show them any other videos or only the cruise? 
I, that's the main thing that I could find, but the call centers are another option because the call centers are coming, they pay, so. Uh-huh, so the, those are options. The Central Gerete is hardly the first attempt to use development programs, things like vocational schools and small business grants and trade deals, to stop migration. Europe has for years been doing it in Africa and the Middle East. Back in the 1990s, many American politicians supported NAFTA because they thought it would help stem the tide of Mexican migration. In 2014, after a wave of unaccompanied minors from Central America arrived at the U.S. border, the Obama administration launched a series of new anti-migration programs. That's when the idea for the Centro Quedate was born. Those programs continued under the Trump administration before the president directed aid cuts across the region. Those cuts still loom, but have not been specified. Now the surge in Guatemalan migration comes largely in the form of families who present themselves to agents at the border. Because of the enormous backlog in asylum cases, the migrants are released for one or two years while their applications are pending. In Santa Maria Visitacion, it's very likely that some of the kids at the school will be pressured to migrate with their parents, and others will go with children of their own once they're a little bit older. Combating that movement is a complicated effort. Research shows that for many would-be migrants, an increase in income, exactly what the Quedate School is hoping to create, only makes migration more likely. That money can go directly to paying a smuggler. Then there's the other challenge. In a place like Santa Maria Visitacion, experts say it's unlikely that a school like the Central Quedate will lead to better jobs for the students. I spent a week at the Central Quedate, and I kept seeing moments where the school's anti-migration effort seemed to run up against its own limits. The kids in one class were learning to fix computers, but they could never afford their own computer, let alone the tools needed to fix someone else's. In another class, about 20 students were being taught to cut hair, but no one seemed to address the obvious fact that this tiny village of about 3,000 people could never support 20 new hairstylists. And then there was one moment in particular that stood out to me. In Sylvia's class, she asked her students why they wanted to learn English in the first place. She wrote on the board, reasons to learn English, and then told the kids, I want to hear your reasons. First, there were some jokes. To find an American girlfriend, one boy said. To be a professional soccer player, said another. Then they got serious. If we know English, it'll be easier for us to find jobs. But Quintana knew there was something they weren't saying. She said, is there anyone who wants to go to the U.S.? Every hand in the room went up. But who wants to go in a truck so that they deport you, Quintana asked. If it's the only option, then it's fine, said one boy, a tall, serious 13-year-old. Okay, bueno, gracias. I talked to him later. ¿Cómo te llamas? His name is Abdiel. Eh, mi nombre es Abdiel Estuardo Efraín Dionisio Sohn. It turns out he's the mayor's son. ¿Y qué piensas de esta idea? 
El Centro Quédate. I asked him what he thought about the mission of the Centro Quédate. He said it was a good idea in theory, but for him and his classmates, it didn't change much. One of his best friends had migrated at the end of last semester. He still hasn't heard from him. I asked Abiel why he wasn't afraid to tell his teacher that he wanted to migrate illegally. He looked at me like I was missing the point. Because all of my other classmates want to go too, he said. Everywhere I went in Santa Maria, I found people who were either about to migrate or who had been deported and were thinking about trying again. Oh, sí, la mayoría, o sea, de nosotros los compañeros que estuvimos acá estudiando, la la mitad ya se encuentran en los Estados Unidos trabajando. Here's the town's one taxi driver, Alex, who often parks just outside the school. Driving around, he's got an up-close look at how migration has shaped the town. The fancy home of the smuggler, the empty homes of the migrants, the dire poverty in which many are living. He said that about half of his own high school class is already living in the U.S. because they couldn't find work here. Last year, he decided it was his turn to migrate. ¿Cómo llegaste a la frontera? Pues yo tuve que pagar 25,000 estando acá en Guatemala y 25,000 cuando yo ya estaba en la frontera entre Estados Unidos y México. He borrowed about $8,000 to pay a smuggler for two chances to cross the border. It was the premium package, by bus, in a small group, accompanied by a smuggler the whole way. Crucé la frontera de Estados Unidos, la crucé, llegué a estar en McAllen, Texas. He crossed the border in McAllen, Texas, but on the way to Houston, he was apprehended. His second chance, he was caught even closer to the border. Now, he has a huge debt, and he can think of only one way to pay it. Roll the dice, pay another smuggler, and hope he gets across. There's no way to pay back so much money by staying in Guatemala, he said. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast. One morning I traveled in a minibus with Timoteo Perez to a small village outside of Santa Maria. He's Centro Quedete's social worker who has what might be the hardest job at the school, recruit new students. 
The school's criteria is pretty specific. Perez is looking for students considered at risk of migration. Some other families come to the school voluntarily to enroll their kids because it's the only local school that doesn't charge students. Many of the young people here have relatives in the U.S. that were encouraging them to leave, even offering to pay their smugglers. It's Timoteo's job to find these kids and to get them enrolled in the Centro Quedate. As we walk through the town and closer to the homes of potential students, Perez pointed to houses and told me, see, that one, that was clearly built by a migrant in America. How do you know, I asked him. Timoteo said, only people in America could afford to build a big house like that. He carried with him a folder full of questionnaires he asked the families. The first questions are pretty generic. Names, ages, birth dates. But then Timoteo gets closer to asking what he really wants to know. As he gets closer to these questions, I can see him getting more nervous. Are these kids likely to migrate? Do they already have plans to leave? But some parents tell Timoteo to his face that he's on a failed mission. One mother told us that the economic situation still practically forces people to migrate. Through tears, she told us in Quiche, an indigenous language, the boy wants to stay here in Guatemala, but the situation forces him to leave. He's going to start cutting hair, but he's going to need materials to cut. And that's what we don't have, the resources to buy those things. That's the problem that's forcing him to leave. Like so many U.S. efforts aimed at tackling migration, the big question about Querete is whether it works or not. There's no data in either direction. No organization is systematically tracking the outcomes. And it's easy to be skeptical. One of the experts who has closely studied these anti-migration development programs is Michael Clemens at the Center for Global Development. The, the fact is that very few of these programs have been evaluated for their effect on emigration. If you do such a program in uh, in a rural area of Guatemala, and then go back to interview two years later, the youth is not there. Is that because they moved in with a cousin in a different rural municipality? Is that because they're in Guatemala City now? Is that because they're working in Mexico now? Is that because they're with their aunt in Seattle? Uh, in order to determine that, you have to do an, an enormous amount of very expensive, difficult legwork. So I'm just pointing out that the, the systematic evaluations that have been done worldwide on programs of this kind for their proximate impact, which is our kids, even in the short term, getting more jobs or better jobs is quite disappointing. Recto, 
misma marca. Entonces, ¿qué posición de dedos va a utilizar? But back in Santa Maria, I was constantly struck by how complicated the effort is. How the school serves as a kind of speed bump for kids before they commit to migrating. It at least makes them question whether migration really is a necessity. One of the kids who was most wrestling with what to do was a student I met at Kerete named Moises. Moises is one of the oldest students in the haircutting class, which often meets in the central plaza, offering free haircuts to people passing by so they can train. The teacher watches closely and critiques them. I met him across town at his father's shop that sells cables and phone chargers and little electronic devices. Moises is a preternaturally sweet kid, and he's converted a little room in his family home into a makeshift barber shop. He does about five haircuts a week there. I asked him to lay out his dilemma, to stay or go. He took a deep breath and listed all of the things he could afford only if he migrated. His cousin was now in the U.S. He had a house, running water, money for a family. I could hear the jealousy in Moises's voice. I have dreams, he told me. I want to save all the stray dogs of Santa Maria, he said. You need money for something like that. Oh, kill me. What's your... With your phone numbers? Phone number. Four numbers. Every day the teachers at the center show up, prepared to make their case for the kids to stay. Even though they know it's often impossible. Like Sylvia, the English teacher. She was one of the first teachers at the school when it opened three years ago. She estimates that about 10% of her students have migrated. Many of them just vanishing between classes. Okay, now that I remember, there was another case of a kid that was doing very well. And um, one day they told me that he wasn't coming anymore to classes. I went to the mother. The mother didn't speak Spanish very well. She just spoke a uh, Mayan language. And I, I did what I could. And she said, I'm not letting him go because his father died and now he has to take the place of the father and he has to bring as much money as the father did. He was 14 years old. And she sent him away. She sent him to the U.S.? She sent him away. She said, you have to do whatever you have to do, but I want the money here. That hurt me a lot. Do you know what happened to him? No, I never saw him again. That's really hard. They killed the father one day. They killed the father? He was shot. This was, for example, Wednesday and Friday he had to go. And that was on a Wednesday? Uh-huh. And on a Friday? He had to go. To the U.S.? Uh-huh. Wow. wow. I mean, it seems like what's hard about that story is that he didn't even necessarily want to go, but his family was, was pressuring him to go. Yes, he went with his father to the United States once. And the mother said, you know the route and you have to go again. 
tough reality that you're up against, you know? Like you're fighting this fight and there are mothers like that who are trying to take their kids out of your class. Yes, yes, that's, uh, that's very, it's, it's horrible. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to explain those things. For someone like you who has to, who's helping these kids and then all of a sudden one of them, a kid that you really like, just disappears like that. How do you, how do you think about that? How do you deal with it? Do you feel like you failed that child or do you feel like you've helped that child or how does that, how do you think about that? No, I don't. I know that they live in very, very bad conditions and they have to do something. And I don't think that I fail. I I just think that uh, poor guys. Uh, I would li- I would have liked that they did better or something, but um, I don't I don't feel I failed because I already know before that uh, that could happen. That's part of the job. Okay, English speaking. And you, have, you sometimes hear from them? Do, you, do they get in touch sometimes with you? Sometimes we do, yes. Do they send you like Facebook messages? Yes, or? not to me, but to, uh, among them. Uh-huh. Just to let them, uh, each other know that they're safe, that they've made it. Or... Uh-huh, and come here. <laughs> that must be. It's nice. Oh, really? Sometimes, sometimes. They say come here, it's nice. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's against the Kerate message. I know, I know, but sometimes that happens to me. It's Guatemala. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, así no, así no. Seven, five, English, English. No Spanish, por favor. You've been listening to All Told. I'm Kevin Sieve. This episode was produced by Dennis Funk. If you want to read more about this story, it's at WAPO, W-A-P-O, dot st slash guatemala aid